is The Jolt Go! with Larry Flick on Sirius XMLQ. That is a new single by our friend Matt Nathanson from his forthcoming album, Show Me Your Fangs. Isn't that great title? Show Me Your Fangs. That track is called Giants. It's five past the hour on this Thursday morning, August 27th. I'm Larry Flick, and this is The Jolt on Sirius XM LQ. We uh, are so, so lucky to be joined by a dear old friend who um, I haven't seen in a while, hasn't aged a minute. <laughs> You look so good. Kevin Jennings is with us. He is a he is an educator. He's a writer. He is a, the founder of Glisten, the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, and he is here to talk about a number of things, including a new book called One Teacher in Ten in the New Millennium. Um, it's a collection of LGBT educators speaking out about what's gotten better. And what hasn't? And um, uh, Kevin, so good to see you. It is fantastic. It's to be really back good on the to show. see you. You look. You really do look good. <laughs> Some people come in here after a while, and then you know they look a little busted up. Don't look at me too closely because I'm busted up. But no, you're just fantastic to see you. You know, I'm, I'm like your number one fan. Thank Absolutely. you. It's great to be back on the show. Well, before we turn the mics on, y'all, we uh, Kevin and I were talking about the uh, terrible events in uh, in Virginia yesterday, and I, I asked him. Uh, if he was uh, at all inclined to talk about the story with the angle of um, the gunman whose name we don't we don't say because we're not adding to his notoriety um, about the fact that he is uh, gay identified or was gay identified and if you feel like that has any any salience to the story and you said I think that's ridiculous. I noticed that when um, straight white men kill people, nobody ever mentions the fact that they're straight white men. But if it's a person of color or a Muslim or a gay person, suddenly it's relevant. Suddenly it's important. Um, And I think that's just a sign of the ongoing biases against people in our society. And so you have very, very strong opinions about this, though, in that you um, you, you are – you believe we need to get rid of the guns quite simply – Well, when I was in the administration, I served as assistant secretary for safe schools. So every time there's a school shooting, it came to me. The issue of student suicides, which 50% of which are committed by with guns, came to me. And I got incredibly tired of the fact that the elephant in the room was never being addressed. The fact is people want to say, oh, this person's mentally ill. Well, a mentally ill person with a baseball bat or a knife is able to kill a lot fewer persons than a mentally ill person with a gun. Yeah. In the UK, about 20 years ago, they had a massive school shooting. And after that, they basically took away private handguns. And there have been no school shootings in the UK since then. So I feel like we need to quit ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the fact that if people didn't have such easy access to guns, there wouldn't be all these tragedies. I mean, it's easier to get a gun in this country than it is to get a driver's license. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And, and I, was, I was saying to, to you before, again, before we turn the mics on, um, normally I would come down on the side of not watching this heinous video that this guy created. Um, but I watched it, and now I believe everybody should. Because, first of all, I found it life-changing. And, I, and that's such a, a, an enormous thing to say, but I really do feel it. I, felt, I feel like my point of view about guns have changed. I feel like my point of view about social media has changed. I feel like my point of view about movies have changed. 
because it was as if he was making his own movie. And mm. when people say, I can't let that in my world, I can't let that in my psyche, the first thing I want to ask is, what was the last movie you saw? If it was one of those green screen movies where people are shooting, then what you're telling me is that you prefer to live in a fantasy where bullets don't kill. Mm -hmm. But in the truth, they do. Look at this, and maybe you'll think twice about going to see that green screen movie. Well, I think that for me, I spend my weekends in Southbury, Connecticut. The next town over is Newtown, where Sandy Hook occurred. Yeah. And as a former teacher, I think about the fact that we're letting six and seven year olds get gunned down in our schools in this country. We're letting teenagers be gunned down when they go out to see movies, all in the name of protecting somebody's right to bear arms. We're the only country that has this problem. And it's absurd to say it can't be solved. The U.K. has solved it. Other countries have solved it. We can solve it. Canada has solved it, apparently. We were talking about that with listeners from Canada this morning. We need to get over our fetishization of gun ownership in this yeah. country. Yeah, it's Kevin Jennings joining us here on The Jolt. Um, and, and the other thing that came to mind when I was um, thinking about this story, as I've been doing quite a lot over the last 24 hours, is what— what does this also potentially say about the way, because we, we go into, you you and I both know, we're both a couple of old guys, well, I'm older than you, I'm sure, um, who we're going to be hearing stories about how he was bullied, you know, the, it, there's, it's, it, there's sort of a, a blueprint that the media is going to follow in the next few days, and, and the blueprint will include uh, a dissection of his childhood, uh, we'll probably start to see articles about uh, uh, African Americans on the down low. It's all coming. Mm -hmm. It's all coming. And, and a lot of it, a lot of those seeds are sown in school. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when, I, when I was watching the news and I was thinking about you coming today, I was really grateful that you were coming today because um, it's really, is it really better in schools right now for LGBT people on either side of the classroom, for teachers or for the students? I think it is improved. I wouldn't say it's all better. Um, when I did the first version of One Teacher in Ten, it was 1994. Right. And it was hard to find enough teachers who would contribute, even though I was allowing them to use pseudonyms or change the name of their schools or change the name of their towns. I had trouble filling up a book. 20 years later with the new version, One Teacher in Ten in the New Millennium, virtually all of the teachers in it are out. And they come from all around the country, 11 different states, and in fact, four foreign countries, including China and South Africa. So I think there has been improvements. We still, however, face a situation when over 35 states, there's no law that protects LGBT students from being bullied or harassed. In 31 states, uh, you can be fired if you're a transgender teacher. In 29 states, you can be fired if you're a gay, lesbian, or bisexual teacher. So we're still lacking some basic protections, and there still is an enormous amount of bullying and harassment. But I don't want to discount the incredible progress that has been made. In 1988, when I came out, there were virtually no out teachers. And a few weeks later, I helped students start the first gay-straight alliance in the country at the school where I taught. There's now gay-straight alliances in over 50% of American high schools. Let's take credit for the good work that has been done while also recognizing that we are by far from finished. So do me a favor for folks who, who are meeting you for the first time here on the radio. Um, bring us into your mind the day you decided to come out. What 
the reason I, I had grown up in rural North Carolina, graduated high school in 1981, very different time, very difficult time, and I had attempted suicide myself in high school because I was gay. And I became a teacher. Were you bullied in high school? Uh, absolutely and yeah. relentlessly. And the hardest part about it was not being bullied. The hardest part was teachers doing nothing. So then I became a teacher, and I was seeing students being bullied. And the tipping point came for me when a gay student uh, was talking with me, and I was encouraging him to take care of himself because he had some mental illness challenges. And he said, why shouldn't I kill myself? My life isn't worth saving anyway. Mm. And I made a promise to myself that I didn't care if I lost my job or what happened. I was never, ever, ever going to stay in the closet the day after that happened. So I came out in 1988. Um, one of the fun questions I point out in the beginning of the book is that there was only one state in 1988 that protected uh, teachers from being fired because they were gay. And it was not Massachusetts where I taught. And I revealed the answer at the end of the book. Uh, so your listeners may can, can start the guessing game now. Yeah, we're not telling you. You have to find out. You have to buy the book, read the book. Um, exactly. But, you know, the thing that happened for me the day I came out was I, my effectiveness as a teacher actually rose. Because the one thing kids want is they want teachers who are real. They want teachers who are authentic. They want teachers who are genuine with them. Uh, because kids have great BS detectors. Uh, and when a teacher is closeted, they could tell it. Yeah. Um, and they, it decreases their trust. It's oh. so true. And uh, to jump in for just a second, yeah. um, you know, it's it's not it's not. Um, I, I remember I remember thinking I don't want to know. I remember I had a teacher who um, went through a divorce during the semester, and I didn't want to know about her divorce, but I was glad that she moved through the semester as a real person, because if there's an if there's a if there's a wall between the teacher and the student. There's not that kind of connection that you need in order to not just learn, because you know, it's, but you need a, an emotional connection to learn. I believe I completely agree. And one of the things that is sad to me about where we're going in American education, with all this emphasis on standardized testing and Common Core, yeah, and et cetera, is we've forgotten the truth that you just spoke, Larry, which is in the end, kids do well if they feel like their teachers care about them. Yeah, um, because you begin to care about your teachers. You begin to think. Oh my God, Mrs. Rosenberg is really not so much is she pretty, but it's me start with that and maybe like, oh my God, I have a crush on her. She's so pretty. And it may move to, oh, but she's always looking at the looking at me when I talk, or she's always you just it's hard to identify, it's hard to, for me to put into words, but there's a connection. I was very lucky. I had wonderful teachers, and I'm convinced it's because I was a little boy during the 70s when a lot of young hippie women were teaching school. <laughs> so there was a lot, 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 lot of peasant skirts and a lot of young women who were just very there. I was very lucky. I was very, very lucky. But you just opened your book. Yeah, there's a great story in the beginning by Alan Yout, who's a teacher in New York City public schools, who debated for years whether or not to tell his students he was gay. And I'm just struck by the last line of it because of what you just said. He decided at one point, finally, to tell his students he was gay, and the response was fantastic. And he writes at the end of his story, I've told my students every year since then that I'm gay, and it has been a positive experience for them and for me. It has made me a better teacher and a better person. Yeah. So I guess my message out there for a lot of teachers who might be listening is, uh, just tell the truth about who you are, uh, because the kids will like you better. And if they like you, they're going to listen to you. That's absolutely it's, right. Because this is where it's where interaction is at its most primal, right? 
you, you can't get into values and sophisticated philosophical ideas. This is really, it starts like I said a moment ago. She's pretty. She wears pink a lot. I like that. And that opens your mind to whatever she's going to say. And, you know, he always has, you know, the same brown jacket on. I kind of like that jacket. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, honestly, maybe I'm being really, really basic and simplistic, but that was how I first responded to my teachers when I was a child. I'm not talking about mm -hmm. high school. I mean, like when I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. And supposedly, this is when our children are, are at most peril mm -hmm. from LGBT teachers. But those are the basic things, and it is a primal interaction that if you can establish that, then you could take it to philosophical and educational and more sophisticated levels, but you have to first kind of connect. It was a fascinating experience I had when I was a teacher was after I came out, about two years later, a group of young women approached me and asked me if I would help them start a support group for survivors of sexual abuse and rape. And I was kind of shocked um, because we had many, many strong women teachers at the school. And I said, why did you pick a man? And they said, oh, because you took something that a lot of people look down upon and are ashamed about. You turn it into something that you're proud about. And we want to overcome all the shame and stigma that's attached to our experience as well. So we mm. figured you would be able to teach us that. Wow. So I, when I came out, I was never coming out to be a role model for girls who had experienced rape. That was not the plan. But they saw that it wasn't about my being gay, that it was about being truthful and authentic about who you were. And they wanted to be truthful and authentic about who they were. And I think that when, when we stay closeted as teachers, we're teaching a really bad lesson. And that lesson is be ashamed of part of who you are if you yeah. have a part of yourself that you're embarrassed about. And when we come out, we teach a very different lesson, which is embrace all of yourself. And I always had uh, kids come up and talk to me about all kinds of things, eating disorders, sexual abuse, et cetera, because I have been brave enough to tell them the truth about my experience, and that made them brave enough to tell me the truth about their experience. You know, I remember uh, having one out gay teacher when I was in high school, um, back in the uh, late 70s, it, was, it may have been 1980. Um, and, and I gravitated to him even before I was fully aware of my own sexuality, because I just felt like he was more sensitive, because I felt like he had already been through prejudice. And you know, I remember I was uh, 16 at the time. And I just, I, even at 16, I was able to put together in my mind, this dude look, has probably been you know, in some way beat up. And look at him, he's leading the class. Mm -hmm. That's something I should pay attention to. I should look at that and think about that. I didn't, wasn't able to put, put together much more than that mm -hmm. when I was 16. But I do remember thinking I should pay attention to him because look, he look at him. He's standing there, and he's not afraid, and he's laughing, and he can, you know, be nice to the girls. He can be nice to shy kids like me. So super shy in school, and he can high five with the jocks. I mean, he was he was a very popular teacher, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very popular teacher because he didn't look afraid. That was really powerful. I think being LGBT actually makes you a more effective teacher um, because you have a sense of what it's like to be on the outside and yeah. not fit in. And frankly, every teenager, whether they admit it or not, feels like they're weird, they don't fit in, and sure. they're, they're on the outside in some way. And so I think it does give you, when you are an LGBT teacher, a special sense of empathy that allows you to connect with kids better. 
Well, that is Kevin Jennings joining us here on The Jolt, and we're going to continue chatting with him. I want to play this song. It just came to me while we were talking. Uh, it's brand new music by the duo Time Flies. This is called Stuck With Me. Open up the shade, sun is on the way. Isn't that good? That is brand new music from the duo, male duo, called Time Flies. That track is called Stuck With Me. It is uh, it's about 24 past the hour on this Thursday morning, August 27th. Our toll-free number is 866-305-6887. Hey, if you have a teacher you loved, we want to talk to you about that. Kevin Jennings is with us. He uh, is uh, an educator and uh, a writer and uh, the founder of GLSEN, the Gay Lesbian Straight Education Network, and he's here talking about a book called One Teacher in Ten in the New Millennium, LGBT Educators Speak Out about what's gotten better and what hasn't. And we were talking during the song about the geography of, uh, of out gay teachers and that you never know who's going to feel safe where. It was really fascinating to me. Um, there are out teachers in the book from places like North Carolina and Virginia and South Africa. And then there, the one closeted teacher in the book teaches in New York City. Um, the two teachers in the book who experienced serious harassment, one is from the Netherlands and the other is from Portland, Oregon, places that we think of as meccas for LGBT people. So I think it's too simplistic to say, um, well, this part of the country is great for gay people and this part of the country is bad for gay people. I think the picture is a lot more complicated than that. One of the things that was very exciting about editing this book as opposed to the first version of the book 20 years ago um, is that over half of the contributors are either people of color, trans people, or people from outside the United States. Mm. The original book um, 20 years ago had one person of color, no trans people, and nobody from outside the United States. So I was really excited to see the, the true rainbow of our community be represented in the book this time, whereas 20 years ago I just couldn't make that happen. I, and and it's, I, I'll bet it was because it just wasn't happening. Or if it was, the, the folks were so stealth in the closet that they were not going to be found. I, I, can't, I, I can't imagine the courage of a trans person coming out as a teacher right now because even queer people have difficulties understanding trans people uh, on some level. Well, I think that you know, with the epidemic of violence that's happening against trans women of color in particular, yeah, yeah. it's really, really critical that we enable trans teachers to come out because I think a lot of violence is rooted in fear and misunderstanding. And when you think about it, as a kid, you meet people, some of the primary adults you learn from are your teachers. And that's particularly important for LGBT kids because most LGBT kids are raised by straight parents, no surprise. Um, and they don't have a lot of contact with LGBT adults. The LGBT teacher may be the first out LGBT person they've ever met. So I, you know, I guess if there's one message I would have for teachers listening today is, Yes, it may be challenging and it may be hard for you to come out, but in the end, you owe it to your kids. And you, you owe it to your younger self because all of us can go back and think about how lonely and isolated we yeah. felt when we were kids oh, yeah. and what a difference a teacher like the one you had would have made. Yeah, it's so true. So true, Mr. Kanan. Hi, Mr. Kanan. I hear he's still teaching at Columbus High School. Um, very flamboyant. I, I love that about you. Uh, <laughs> I did. I loved You're it about fabulous, him. Though. He was. He was. He always wore a fedora, a yeah. white fedora. 
very, very flamboyant. And he was 30 years ahead of the hipsters. He <laughs> so was. A, and ironically, a, a very theatrical, I mean, I would say now very theatrical queen, did not teach theater. The theater department was covered by two older women. My, the only teacher that I, I didn't connect at the time he was gay, but like you, I was just kind of drawn to him because he was so warm and so supportive and yeah. so sensitive I had was a, a teacher named Mr. Cobb, who was my ninth grade geometry teacher. And he would protect me from the bullies, which he was Aww. the only teacher who did. And I remember saying to him at one point, it's very funny in retrospect, I said, Mr. Cobb, do you have any kids? You would make a great dad. And he just kind of laughed. He said, that's not going to happen. Oh, my goodness. Um, First of all, what a cute thing for you to say. That's an adorable thing for you to say and how <laughs> how old school of him to say. <laughs> I know, nowadays. That's never happened. That's very pre-HRC of him. Um, that's so funny. So, so funny. So this is, an, to me, your, your, your journey is very interesting because there is – there is glisten for us to to talk about a little bit here in that um, you were, I believe, miles ahead of the the curve, uh, which has become a very politically correct curve, by including straight people in glisten. It is the gay, lesbian, straight education network. Um, and I always found that exciting because as proud as I am to be a gay man, I'm proud to be a gay man in society, not in my ghetto. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was a de-ghettoizing thing to teach kids. I just always found that very, very powerful and empowering. Well, I have to admit that the kids taught it to me. Um, the way the first Gay Straight Alliance in the country started at Concord Academy in 1988 was a young woman came to me one day and said, I want to start a club to fight homophobia. And I assumed any kid who wanted to do this would have to be LGBT. And this confused me because the main way I knew her, she wasn't in my class, but she was always making out with her boyfriend right outside my classroom. And that just annoyed the crap out of me. I was like, get a room. Um, <laughs> and so I was confused. I was like, hush, I didn't think she was a lesbian. So I said, tell me why you care so much about this issue. She said, oh, that's easy. My mother is a lesbian and I'm tired of hearing my family get put down around this school. And I was kind of surprised because this was, like you were saying, back before um, a lot of LGBT people had kids. So it never crossed my mind that I might have a kid who had an LGBT parent, as naive as I was in 1988. And I, I was kind of buying time. And I said, oh, OK, why don't, what do you want to call the club? And she said, well, you're gay and I'm straight, so let's call it the Gay Straight Alliance. And that's where the name came from. So actually, um, it was a young woman who taught me about the power of straight allies um, and who actually invented the idea of the Gay-Straight Alliance. And from the beginning, with the work we were doing, we knew that it was critical that straight allies be involved. And I think all of us have places in our life where we have privilege, like I happen to be white, I happen to be a male, I happen to be cisgender. And I think that actually carries with it an obligation to be an ally to people who don't share the privilege that I got simply because I was born white, male, and cisgender. So I've been very grateful for the number of straight people in my life who have realized that they have a power as an ally that I do not have as the person without privilege. And one of the ways I try to repay it is by trying to be the best ally I can be to groups that do not share my privilege based on race mm. or my privilege based on gender or my privilege based on um, the fact that I was born Christian. 
So I think all of us have the power to be an ally uh, on any range of issues, and I wish more people would use it. I, I do so also. Um, it's funny because my first um, interaction with Glisten was through uh, a friend of mine um, many, many years ago. Who, uh, when he was in high school, he was a member of Glisten, and um, he uh, continued on uh, as, I guess, a peer counselor or just hanging out with them when he started college. And he, because he was one of those kids who knew, I think he was hatched, knowing he was gay, unlike a lot of us who have to go through, you know, through the through the meadow and the woods to grandma's house. Um and 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 I he I always remember him talking about how how life changing it was and and those sessions at the local center that he would attend and the kids hanging out in front of the center every Saturday afternoon were just so important and I remember just being blown away by how young they were mm. how young and, and and it was again so miles ahead so miles ahead giving kids a place to be before they even maybe even knew they needed it. Well, this year actually was the 25th anniversary of the founding of Glisten, which made me feel extremely old, made me realize how young I was when I started it. I was 27. Wow. So I wasn't a whole lot older than the kids we were serving. Um, and at the 25th anniversary gala this year, I was struck by uh, the student ambassadors, many of whom were either in middle school or in ninth or 10th grade. And I thought, you know, that was the whole point. The fact of the matter is young straight people are able to come out as straight when they're supposed to in yeah. their middle and high school years. And all we were really asking for was let the LGBT kids have the same experience as any other kid of growing up, of falling in love, of developing crushes without being afraid they're going to be beaten to death um, as Matthew Shepard was uh, because of who they were. And it's really exciting for me to um, meet young people who have pretty much been out their whole life uh, and who think that's normal. Um, we always wanted that to be the experience for young LGBT people, that from day one they wouldn't have to feel that they had to hide or be ashamed. And it's not true everywhere in this country. There's still enormous amounts of harassment. Two-thirds of LGBT kids report they are homophobic epithets every day at their school. But and it's starting to happen. And I look forward to the day when um, our stories become the exception and those stories become the rule. Yeah, I think, and I think we're, we're moving in that direction. Again, that's Kevin Jennings joining us here on The Jolt. Um, because if, if you're able to find yourself, if you know that anything is okay, it allows you to find yourself younger. And it allows you to have your adolescence at the appropriate time in your evolution as a human being because you know it's really a drag having to having to have adolescence twice because when you come out whether you realize it or not you in so many ways psychologically and emotionally revert back to your 13 year old self absolutely i can't tell you how many um, 50 year old men in Abercrombie shirts I see? I'm like, <laughs> and guys, just, guys, guys, you're, you're too just, old for this now. It's just not working for you, baby. <laughs> right. <But> they're having <laughs> the adolescence they were denied as yeah. kids. Because, um, but, you, but, you know, and, but you want it, you deserve it. Yep. And so, if you, you know, so having, having teachers who are out, having a safe environment to, to, to explore who you are at the time when you're supposed to be exploring allows you to kind of exist on. A quote normal timeline. I mean, normal's relative, obviously, but 
it's not, I mean, not only is it not a good look to be 55 years old in an Abercrombie shirt, it's also just cheating yourself out of years where you could be fully yourself mm -hmm. and happy. And, and it all kind of circles back to what we, uh, what we brought Kevin in to talk about, which is his book. Uh, again, it's called One in Ten the, uh, in the New Millennium, LGBT Educators Speak Out About What's Gotten Better and What Hasn't, because nothing is more important to a kid than his or her teacher. I, I would argue that my teachers in some ways were more important than my family to me because there are pivotal points in my life where I believe teachers saved me um, and were my friends and were my trusted figures. And um, if a teacher feels like he or she can be fully themselves, and I don't mean, you know, pinching booties and going, hi, I mean, just kind of existing as an honest human being, that's a very empowering thing to communicate to a child without words, don't you mm -hmm. think? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that comes through consistently in the stories in the book is many of the stories feature a moment in which the teachers see LGBT youth struggling and they simply say, I can't allow this to happen. I have to step forward. There's an amazing contributor named Essie Furu who teaches in Charlotte, North Carolina, who is in a faculty room um, and the faculty are talking about some of the LGBT kids in a very derogatory way and she just decides she has to say something. You know, whether she, and North Carolina does not have a law protecting her from being fired, so she knew she was putting her job on the line by doing it, but she couldn't stand by and watch these kids um, be put down by the adults who are supposed to take care of them. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm incredibly proud of the people who contributed to this book because they all stepped forward. Um, they're all willing to tell their story and tell their truth and live their truth every day in our schools. And let's face it, teachers are treated like crap in this country. They're paid badly. Uh, they, you know, it's the only job in the world where people are bringing supplies to work rather than stealing supplies from work. That's <laughs> true. Um, the average teacher spends something like $750 a year bringing supplies to work, yeah. when you consider the average teacher only makes about $50,000. That's a lot. It's crazy. Um, and these are people who basically have given up a lot in order to serve young people and to try and make their lives better. Then they go the extra step of putting their jobs on the line by coming out of the closet as LGBT because they want to be there for their LGBT kids. These folks in this book are heroes. They're heroes to me. They should be heroes to our community. And more, most importantly, they're heroes to the young people they're serving. Um, and that's, you know, that's what every teacher wants to do in the end is make a difference in the lives of young people. And these teachers are doing that every day. So the book, again, is called One, in, One Teacher in Ten in the New Millennium, LGBT Educators Speak Out about what's gotten better and what hasn't. Kevin Jennings, it's so good to see you. It's fantastic to be on your show again. Thank and you. Mr. Kanan, wherever you are, uh, <laughs> we are very grateful to you. We are indeed. We are indeed to be continued, sir. Stick around. There's more to come on The Jolt. I can't